So welcome to a new episode of The Raw Take by Growth Lab, a leader in the finance as a service ecosystem. And here on The Raw Take, we share how we help our customers address their current challenges, their risks, and opportunities to drive value. And this is hosted by me, Dan Gertrudes. And me, Stephen Byler. Our goal each week on The Raw Take is to leverage our experience, our journey, to help you scale your business. Here we go. So today is uh, Tuesday, October 12th. Today we have a, a special guest, Ari Salafia from TaxTaker. We'll be bringing her on shortly. Today we're going to be a little bit reflective on our industry. We're going to take a step back because a lot of our customers obviously use uh, service providers like ours or CPAs, fractional CFOs, bookkeepers, mm-hmm. advisors, business coaches, etc. Tax preparers. And so today we're going to be talking about the ethics in our industry you know, you pointed out over the last two years, maybe more like the last year and a half, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty uh, just kind of going into this. And then obviously uh, economic turmoil, uh, economic volatility. Volatility, by the way, isn't bad. It's just, you don't know what's up or down, left or right. I think it ties in, right? Because volatility, there's, there's, it's not bad. It's, it's, there's op- opportunity, right? right? And we've seen some We'll get into it more detail, but you know, some firms have taken, I would say, advantage of that in ways that they may or may not, maybe not should have, which leads us to talking about ethics in our industry. Right. So you've had economic turmoil uh, driven by an uncertainty, volatility, um, inflation popping, commodity sh- shortages, bottlenecks in global transportation. And then last week, sort of the tail end of all this, because we've been talking a lot about labor shortages, but it was really through the lens of attrition, right? Trying to attract talent, Mm -hmm. getting people, quote unquote, off of the unemployment line, which may not actually have been the case, although we're starting to see that open up. But it's really all about the great resignation of 2021. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, that was actually a, a good one because you know, we, we talk about core values in our business. Uh, one of the things we did last week is we had our third quarter town hall. And, you know, this is where you repeat, repeat. I, th- I think I've heard like, you've got to say something seven or 10 times for something to start to really sink in, especially with a larger audience like our, uh, our, our team. Mm-hmm. You know, so we talked about core values, core competencies, the vision of our business. And, you know, talking about ethics in our industry, one of our core competencies is integrity, right? And with integrity, it comes responsibility, accountability, and then ultimately ethics, right? Like we really can't do what we do unless we're doing it for all the right reasons and we're doing it ethically. And so that is important to us because that that is what our customers expect from us. We we are a people business, right? So last week in our town hall, we were talking to all of our all of our whole company, and we ran through our core values, our core competencies. Um, but in the you know in the end, we are a people business, both on the employee side and on the customer side, right? And and that means that we need to make sure that they stay engaged, they stay uh, excited uh, to you know, employees, excited to show up for work, customers excited to pay us, right? Um, th- that's what you want with uh, with a, in a service business. And to do that, you know, we feel like one of our values uh, needs to be ethics and integrity. Integrity. And so talking about core values, if you haven't done this as a business, um, you should take a moment and kind of think about it. The way we we approach that we pluck three people um, 
not randomly, but three high-performing uh, team members. And we ask ourselves, you know, what's that common thread? Why do the why do customers actually always come to me and say, "Wow, that person's just amazing"? And so we talk about integrity and camaraderie, right? So camaraderie is our second core value, uh, and why is it a core value? Uh, like Steve said, we're still a people business, uh, even though we leverage technology and we leverage standard operating procedures, and we're for the most part a remote working environment. So if you don't have the uh, camaraderie, you know it becomes very difficult to mitigate resignation, right? That great resignation. So camaraderie, organizational culture, those are being respectful, inclusive, I think transparent, very, transparent, very important to maintaining that business, especially uh, if you expect to stay hybrid or remote. Now, a lot of market participants in our industry are actually pushing folks to come back to the office. And we've actually done the opposite. We're saying, okay, now that you've been with the company for three months, um, you need to stop showing up to the office every day because it just isn't room and we have no intentions of expanding our footprint outside of maintaining what we have. Um, and then lastly, the uh, last uh, third core value is excellence, right? So you think about integrity, camaraderie, excellence. They're very tied because, and I would say ethics kind of runs through all three because I'm not sure... Our team members really want to be around people who are not doing their work, uh, who are not selling, marketing, actually doing the production work with a high level of integrity, a high level of ethics. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it ties in well to what we're going to talk about with Ari today. Taking it from the employee side to the customer side, you really need to be full of integrity. You need to have a camaraderie with your customers too and excellence, right? Because then, then they're going to feel like they're part of your your huddle, uh, and they're going to appreciate the work product that's coming out of that. Now, what that doesn't mean is you shouldn't charge for that, right? And I think uh, some of the things you're going to be talking about, sustainability, non-sustainable uh, peers in our industry, you have to charge for that. You have to charge for the time. You have to charge, more importantly, for the value you're adding. Um, lack of ethics doesn't mean you're not like you, sh you shouldn't be charging, right? Or you're charging too much, quote unquote. Oh, for you sure. Know, five, six years ago, we used to have these conversations with some team members. Like, I can't believe you're charging that customer, you know, X amount of money per month. That's just crazy. When we only spend X amount of time on it. I said, well, the customer appreciates the value. They're willing to pay for it. And moreover, you know, when the customer really needs something, I actually may not charge them for it. I may actually just like slip by, let it go. So I, it, this doesn't mean that you can't charge. And that goes across all industries because let's face it, pricing is uh, much more of an art than a, a science. Yeah. And it, at least being transparent with them in terms of what is the scope, right? So they know what they're paying for, uh, which is something we're going to talk about with, with Ari. But I just want to add one more thing. We did have the opportunity this weekend to go visit one of our customers, which was fun. And uh, of course, it was a brewery. So Castle Island Brewery, that was, uh, they just opened up a, a new tap room in uh, South Boston. Beautiful space. Beautiful space. And my wife reached out to your wife and said, hey, do you want to go grab a pint at their customer? Uh, we never get to do that, right? We never get to experience a lot of our customers' products or services. But uh, over the, over the, I'd say over the course of the last month, I've been trying to do a better job of consuming what our customers actually produce. 
And so um, obviously way too easy to consume uh, Castle Island. We just go to the liquor <laughs> store anyways and bring the, uh, the four packs here. But if you've never tried them, I know they're much more of a local New England, Southern New England um, brewery, but great, great team there. Adam is an awesome CEO, uh, visionary, and he's definitely transforming this new revenue stream for the company. And then the last one I want to kind of point out is uh, bathing culture. So a new customer of ours, and they are providing, uh, they have an e-commerce platform for highly curated, really cool stuff um, around bathing, right? Um, yeah, great team over there. Did yeah. I give you your your sample yet? Uh, not yet, not yeah. yet. But we were talking about it at, at, uh, at CIBC. Uh, and, uh, you know, great great team over there. Uh, they're a, a new customer. We, you know, we put in an order uh, and uh, going to check it out. Yeah. So I'm sure you will check it out. You bathe every day, right? So um, trying to consume more of our customers' uh, products and services. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Before we introduce Ari, you know, we, we've been looking back at the kind of the last 18 months uh, and looking at our industry, you know, there's kind of two themes. One we'll focus more on uh, today than, than the other. But, you know, first, we've seen the pandemic kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, the sustainable versus non-sustainable. Some companies have kind of gone downhill because they couldn't adapt. They couldn't service their customers remotely. They just were, let's call it too old school. And that's that's kind of one like uh, persona. The other is they were there were firms that were just too tech focused and not able, didn't have the people around them to deliver to, especially the small businesses, right? Because what it comes down to it, small businesses need need to be delivered, not just sent, but delivered their financials, their 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 uh, actuals to budgets. Like, how is the business doing? Right for a small business owner, you need the people, not just the technology, to to say here's here's trends we're seeing. Here's here's how you should think about your your business. They need help with consuming, and then lastly and more importantly, they need more help, especially outside help with inferences mm-hmm. around their historicals and how that connects to where they really want to go. Uh, in life, in business. Historicals, it's all hindsight. Forecast is foresight. And then it's that insight piece. Like how do you, how do you add insight to this? So that's one one thing. But secondly, where we'll focus more time is, you know, we've seen some firms, I'll say, kind of go, go rogue a little bit and not focus in our opinion, ethically on how they engage with their customers. Um, And that's what we want to kind of bring Ari in because here at Growth Lab and Ari at Tax Taker, you know, have really proactively built the business to engage ethically with customers. And we've got very different businesses, um, but it'll be a fun, fun conversation. So Ari Salafia is coming to us from Tax Taker in, in Austin, Texas. Bring her in the room, have her introduce herself. But uh, we've really enjoyed getting to know Ari over the last, I guess it has been over the pandemic. Yep, it has. And uh, cool. And let's do it. Their business. So let me bring her in here. Hey, Ari. Hi, guys. We're back. We're back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me today. It's always fun to jam with y'all. It is fun. It is fun. And, uh, thank you for joining us. We were just kind of going through an intro talking about, you know, the topic that we've uh, discussed with you today and just kind of looking back at uh, the last 18 months and some of the chapters that we as an industry, as a world, as small business owners have, have, been, have been through. Yeah. And so Ari, you know, one of the things we were talking about before we brought you on is we actually have never met you in person. We actually met you during the pandemic and you're right. It was during a few uh, 
Zoom calls, tequila calls, scotch calls, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a little bit of the Robert Hughes effect. Um, but yeah, no, it's been great knowing you and you've got a great business model and we appreciate our uh, camaraderie, uh, a core value here. And um, we'd love to have you introduce the audience again to Tax Taker and kind of a little bit of your journey, how you found yourself here. Absolutely. And yeah, isn't it wild? I feel like you guys have become closer with us as, as partners than folks that I have spent time with um, in person. So just one way the world's kind of changed for, for good. You can meet you can meet great people and and actually collaborate and build camaraderie thousands of miles away. Um, which is which is pretty spectacular. So, yep, my name is Ari Salafia. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO at TaxTaker, where we help startups and SMBs leverage government tax credits, particularly the research and development tax credit. So we've got a software and service that helps companies easily identify, apply, and secure the R&D tax credits they're eligible for. Just in 2021, we've secured over $5 million for our startup clients, but our vision is pretty grand. We want to secure billions of dollars in thoughtful resources and alternative funding solutions for companies nationwide. So cool. excited that we're, that we're a part of this and um, that we've got excellent partners like Growth Lab that are super proactive in our shared clients' lives. So tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey leading up to Tax Ticker. Sure. So I think when asked about kind of how did you become an entrepreneur, I think most will answer that it, there's always been a little bit um, in them. It was kind of like a calling. You start to trend all the way back to kind of childhood instances of uh, hustling, if you will. <laughs> So I think that bug was always in me, but I was I was actually in the niche world of tax credit consulting and saw particularly the R&D tax credit space evolve over the last decade. And legislation really created kind of a, a market for more companies to qualify. So it was really a matter of t- kind of timing, identifying an opportunity and already having domain experience expertise in the space. And then that extra kind of push to say, oh, you know, someone's going to tackle this. So why not be me? Cool. So that's, how I, that's how I started Tax Taker. Plus a lot of accountants really actually just bugging me to do so. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I know we're going to jump into the topic du jour, but before we do, I'd love to kind of get your maybe top three learnings coming into the pandemic, coming through the pandemic, and hopefully on the outside of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the that some of the trends that we might discuss today really kind of highlight how resourceful companies really have to be and how kind of proactive they need to be across kind of all areas of their business. So prior to the pandemic, there were kind of like standard rules as to like how to run a company, right? But when the world turns upside down, your vulnerabilities are even more exposed, right? You're really forced to take a closer look at kind of each small area of your business. So I think that kind of some key learnings for me as a business owner, and then also um, what I've seen with our clients is that that, you know, you've got to be prepared uh, for your vulnerabilities, even if you're doing really well, you're, you've got revenue, um, you've got 
seemingly a solid team, you've kind of have to have some type of like crisis management plan, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, or just be prepared for now, you know, what we've seen is, you know, the worst, hopefully that's the case. It stays that way that we've gone through, gone through the worst. So I think having a crisis management plan, really being detailed about around areas of your business that really don't also seem sexy, right? We all want to focus on sales and marketing and advertising and all the, all the fun, creative and branding. But the fact of the matter is accounting, legal insurance, supply chain, right? Right. Things that, that don't sound necessarily sometimes fun to business owners can really be kind of the crux to if you make it or not. A lot of what you're talking about, one, vulnerability. I think that's something that Steve and I have preached. You got to make yourself vulnerable, right? You can't be afraid of that. And then two, when you're reviewing your planning process monthly, you know, annually, you got to be thinking about the risks and opportunities to the plan because yeah, you want to hit 5 million users, but shit, what if you don't? What if a pandemic comes around, right? What's your plan? What's your countermeasure to that? So I, I love what I'm hearing from Ari. You know, it's, it's something we said back when, when everything was kind of hitting the fan is planning is back in vogue, right? Companies that never thought about planning, never did a budget, for, let alone, you know, long range plan. They were like, Oh my word! I need to I need to spend time and energy and money to make sure that I'm, I'm planning right. And then it was you know different chapters of the pandemic. It was supply chain right. You can't just count on whether it's a boat getting stuck in the Suez Canal or just too much demand for certain products. It all like you know there's different chapters of this pandemic. And then it was hiring. It was it was getting people back to work. Now it's retention. It's it's amazing. Now it's oil and gas prices. It's, it's unbelievable, right? Like you could have all the customers in the world, but if you don't have a product to ship, what are you going to do? And how are you going to manage those costs and the team and the retention? It's, it's, it's wild. It's a lot to think about. And we can't expect ourselves to be experts in everything either. Right. Right. Then on top of that, you've got to go find resources um, and folks that are willing to help. Yeah. So. So what was one last learning coming out of the pandemic for you? from a sales and marketing perspective? Yeah. So from a sales and marketing perspective, I think being very specific about the kind of customer that we want to work with and asking, you know, our networks and who we should meet was really, really helpful for us being more and more specific and and also allowing some companies to kind of self-select as they kind of came into contact with tax taker made a world of a difference. So one kind of tapping into the kind of ecosystem of folks willing to help. Um, and then secondly, just being very specific. And that's something I think that will fit into some of today's kind of themes too, around, you know, as we talk about value and we talk about scoping and even data being very specific, it helps in the long run. I mean, as much as you want to take any type of customer possible, right. In the early days, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to service. Well, it's doesn't really lead to real scale or growth. Yeah. Vulnerability, countermeasures, planning that black swan and knowing your customer persona, your market segment. And I think that goes a long way to, you know, uh, you know, the top topic we want to talk about is like how, how we've shaped our businesses proactively to be able to service customers in a very ethical manner. Right. And some of that is being open and upfront, you are not a good customer for me, right? That is, even though that seems like harsh, you know, if they're not ready to adopt SaaS 
SaaS general ledger, they're probably not a good customer for us. I'm sure you've got like one or two or three like overarching things. If they're not willing to do X or view yeah. Y as value, they're not a good customer for you. And that's that's part of ethically engaging with the market and with the with the customers up front. Yeah. Otherwise you're boiling the ocean and you're gonna fail. Right. What's what's less ethical? So three kind of three pillars that uh, that we've talked about of things that we've seen in our uh, industry, you know, is is what have companies done? What, what they've kind of gone rogue, and it's made us think about what we've consciously, very consciously, built into our business and how we engage with the market, and uh, want to keep that, that conversation going with. But it, with you, Ari, but it's really about how we price things. You know, here at Growth Hub, we do everything with fixed price packages. Um, you know, right sizing the scope. How do we how do we scope the work? Making sure that you are very transparent with the customer. This is what I mean when I say cloud accounting, or this is what I mean when I say, we're going to help you with your R&D tax, tax work. And then the third one is how we process, right? Data. Um, it's, it's, it's making sure that we keep all our data here. We don't, we don't ship it overseas and, you know, building it into software systems. Like we know we're people business. We're not trying to build our own proprietary software. We're trying to provide a service for the customer. And if I don't provide a great service for the customer, they will want to go somewhere else. And I don't want to hinder them from going somewhere else. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm keeping them engaged in, and, and, and not just ready and willing to engage with us, but happy to engage with us and pay us on a monthly, month in, month out basis. But let's start at the top, like how we price things. Like maybe Ari, tell us a bit about how you build your engagements at TaxTaker. Transparent pricing. Transparent all the way, for sure. And I think the accounting industry, it really kind of struggles with pricing because, you know, fixed pricing, it's really welcomed. And I think in many ways, very well received by companies because they know what they're going to get. But that also comes with kind of a caveat, right? You've got to be very specific about your fixed pricing. What does that entail? You can't just say, oh, we're going to charge you, you know, $300 a month for bookkeeping. It's got to be specific. It's going to say, we're going to charge you $300 a month for bookkeeping. And that's going to cover you know, 100 to 200 reconciliations, et cetera, et cetera, because then you're going to spend, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? You're all of a sudden you're going to have a huge client uh, that all of a sudden you're, you're not making any margin on where, you know, you set some, you set up fixed billing for a reason. Cause you kind of know your, or you should know your, your costs going into the engagement. Right. So I think that, uh, a lot of the space kind of says, oh, we're only going to do fixed or, or only going to do value, but there is a good way to create kind of a hybrid approach. Even if you're saying you're going fixed, I agree. Much? It takes a lot more scoping of the customer, right? So during the sales process, you do have to spend that extra hour. Like literally, I get off of a sales call and I'm jumping on to your general ledger. It It's not just like a quick sale, $25 an hour for a bookkeeper, $75 for a controller, and $300 for a seat. Like that's too easy where you're putting the onus of managing your gross margin back on the customer. Plus you're capping your gross margin. Right. And I mean, the customer just wants to be clearly communicated with what they're going to get for, you know, an agreed upon price. So 
I think that's why there it's great that there's been a shift from the hourly because it leaves a little less room for kind of miscommunication because those bills can just escalate up. Right. But if you're effectively communicating what it is that you're doing for the customer and they're seeing that on a consistent basis, you're going to run up against less kind of challenges around pricing. Um, but that just takes that little leg of extra effort, right, in, in kind of the scoping. Um, we have battled pricing from, from day one. I mean, it's like you talk to customer X and they are jazzed about one, one kind of way of pricing and then Y will just total throw you and you can, we've just gone nuts. Our accounting partners have driven us crazy about how we, how we build too. So it's like, you can't please everyone, but you want to take you know, the path of least resistance. For us, we found that the success-based model of, of pricing has worked best for us, um, mostly because our end customer is a founder that's pretty cash conscious and would like to put less risk at the onset of our engagement and mm-hmm. pay a little, potentially pay a little bit more when they're receiving their benefits. So um, by that, I mean, um, we generate tax credits for companies. Um, we don't charge anything up front to engage with them. Um, and then we take a percentage, typically 15% when we when we deliver, uh, 15 or 20% when we deliver the tax credits and they're seeing those benefits. So that's worked out very well from us. But then we, we have clients that just, they want a flat rate, no matter, mm-hmm. no matter what, they want to keep it consistent. Um, so we've had to take a hybrid, a hybrid approach there for the most part, success with the flex, knowing our cost, knowing our value, right? Where we can offer that flat, flat, which is transparent pricing. And I think, you know, your, your business is all is built around that tax, you know, that, that opportunity, right? It's not for companies, right? It's not risk. It's opportunity. I can take advantage of the tax credits and that's, you know, that's how you built your, your business. Like I think the, uh, the accounting industry, more the the tax, the bookkeeping, the way that, that the business has been built has not been built around that. But we've seen some opportunistic pricing models out there yes. around PPP, ERTC. That, you know, yeah. we build our relationships with customers around that month in, month out cadence of whether it's bookkeeping, FPA, CFO. Um, that is what we do, right? And so, to for us to do any kind of like um, I'll say opportunistic pricing percentage of the ERTC or anything of that nature just seems just did not feel right to us. It felt, felt right. unethical for us to go that direction when, you know, I'm not built as a business to manage my customers, ex- customers expectations that way I'm managed. I'm built to, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what you're going to pay me. I'd say my only pushback is in the bookkeeping and an accounting world. And even in like advisory business coaching, fractional CFO, I would call opportunistic billing, billing by the hour, right? Because that is such bullshit. There's no control. There's no quality, right? There's no, it's a moral hazard. It is in the best interest of the practitioner of the advisor to let that clock roll Mm -hmm. forward, not backwards. Mm -hmm. And yet the customer has no control over what am I getting for this? It's like you taking your car to a mechanic and your mechanic just charging you by, by the hour, which they do. But what they also do is say, it's going to cost $250 parts and labor. That's your estimate. Why, do, why don't we all do that? Right, right. Instead, 
who'll say, oh, we'll uh, do your planning, we'll do CFO work. And, or worse yet, there are, there are also competitors, large venture-backed companies that offer not just the bookkeeping and accounting, but also CFO and FP&A services. And it may be fixed price, but then they turn around and say, oh, but it's only three hours of CFO time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not fixed price. You're just making me prepay for something that I don't even know what am I going to get. Right. You know, the, the, how, we, how we price and how we scope and communicate with the customer, I think is those, those are two are like tied in so closely because um, if, if I do need to increase my price because I need to recover some gross margin, that's a proactive conversation. Hey, customer, I'm not, I'm not, hitting, my num- I'm not hitting my metrics. We need to have a conversation for go forward, right? It doesn't go back and be like, you owe me 5,000 bucks for the work I put in. It's, I'll eat that, but I need to right size the engagement. And I think that all comes back to, you know, that regardless of if you have a software business or not, um, it's all about putting your process and people first and having those soft skills, right? So the ability to problem solve, be, be vulnerable with your clients and have some open line of communication, I think goes a long way. I think that's why you're seeing some of these large kind of tech accountants not doing so well because they white label certain solutions or there's kind of a chain of communication that the client's just not privy to. They're actually ultimately missing out on money. They probably could increase their prices in certain areas or decrease their prices in other areas, um, but, but they're just not getting a good feedback loop um, because right. communication is, is highly, highly siloed. Um, and then, right, any, anyone in any industry is going to take advantage of certain opportunities or, or, or exploit certain opportunities. So we see that in the tax credit space all the time. Um, I, I'm a big kind of proponent of saying, you know, a short-term gain can be a long-term pain. Maybe someone's not going to become an expert and well-versed in every area of the tax code, right. <laughs> uh, like practitioners, but they're going to find out if it's if they paid for something that was as easy as checking a few boxes in a payroll system. So like for us ethically, and for you guys, I know this to be true as well. Like ethically, if it doesn't feel good because it's not like that will shine a light. So someone might make some, make some kind of money in the near term, but that's not going to be sustainable. Those, those kind of practitioners role will always be found out. So I want to talk a little bit about the ERTC because I'm assuming that's what you were alluding to, right? Just a little check the box. So I've had other customers and leads say the same thing to me. Why am I going to pay you to calculate this when I can just check the box? The, The issue becomes it's not that easy to maximize or better yet optimize the benefits unless you've gone through a rigorous multifaceted analysis of PPP loan forgiveness, ERTC. And what we actually found out was back in 2020, especially in the summer of 2020, when everybody was rushing to get their PPP loan forgiven because the sky was falling and you can't blame them, right? There was a ton of volatility in the in Congress. For goodness sake, it was like a presidential election year, right? Um, we were, we kept telling our customers, no, don't apply for forgiveness. Don't apply. Not yet. Let's just see how the dust settles with the ERTC. And I got to tell you, those that actually paid us and waited benefited than those who just kept pushing 
pushing for PPP. And we even lost a customer or two because of that conflict. I said, this is our best advice. Wait on the PPP loan forgiveness. Let's figure out the ERTC. And then let's go, oh, but my I, I need to issue those K-1s to my shareholders. I was like, so what? They're going to benefit if you get another $250,000 in, in refund or credit. And they didn't get it, right? I so, even had a conversation uh, with, uh, with our, our team member who does a lot of the ERTC work for fixed, fixed price. Um, and the company had actually already gotten their first PPP forgiven. Um, and they had even already applied for some of the ERTC, but by checking the box in great software platforms that uh, in payroll platforms allow you to just go, go, go that route. But he was willing to say, you know, Hey, I'm going to pay you guys a little bit extra to just check my work and see if there's other, other opportunity. And indeed there was, and, and uh, you know, would he have benefited from just checking the box? He totally, totally did, totally would have, but he's able to take advantage of it probably twice as much uh, yeah. value for his business um, by taking that extra step and saying, hey, you guys know what you're talking about. Check, check the work. And it's not just CPAs or accountants or practitioners. We're even talking about payroll companies. Payroll companies all too often, when you're simply asking them to reissue a 941X, it's like... Oh. They want to do the ERTC study for you. And I was just like, no, back off. Just, just reissue the damn 941 axis and I'll be happy. I don't yeah. need you to check my work because you don't really understand what else, what other moving pieces I have in my business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also worst case for those who just checked a box or kind of willy-nilly applied for PPP, you kind of, you saw some big headlines of uh, some companies had some, some of the big companies, they had some great PR, right? That they almost look like heroes. Like, oh, we're giving our money actually back. We applied okay. and we got it, but we're giving it back when really we know it's just, they weren't eligible in the first yeah. place. But what does that look like? <laughs> and that can be harmful too, because I know a lot of businesses that really the PPP was a godsend, not because they were necessarily interrupted by COVID, but more so that they just were struggling as a business. And it was kind of a Hail Mary. It was good timing, right? But what if they aren't eligible? Like where's the recourse there? Um, and what does that look like? That could be that could right. be devastating to a company. I mean, obviously the the loan, the interest rates aren't very high, but that's a big that's a big liability for a company if they are responsible for a payback and are not forgiven. Totally. And so on that PPP loan, like when we're th- talking about ethics, so obviously all of the PPP loan data is now in the public domain. Growth Lab received a PPP loan. I forget how much we got. Do you remember? I should know. Just under 200. Uh, Just under 200. And thank God to the taxpayers. Did we need it at the time? Yeah. You didn't know what was happening. What did we do with it? We ended up going on a hiring binge in Q2. Like, hey, if everybody else is firing and letting people go, screw it. We're going to be hiring people. And it was the best thing we did. Best use of the money. uh, Created jobs and creating value. And we're, we're still seeing that. However, can you believe that we jumped in in April, right after the CARES Act, and our customers, they got their PPP loans, I swear to God, within like three weeks. Mm-hmm. We didn't get ours until like June. I think officially on record, it says May, but it really did not hit our bank account until like the first week of June. We actually had written off like we're not even getting PPP money. Yeah. But if you do research on a lot of our competitors, 
They all got it in the first two weeks. Who are they really taking care of? Was it themselves or their customers? I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, no, those records, those records are public. Oh, They're public. A lot of Aprils, a lot of very, very early Aprils. A lot of early April, Aprils. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Raw Take for CEOs. We want to briefly interrupt this week's episode and talk a little bit about Growth Lab's financial planning and analysis services. Here at Growth Lab, we strive to become a part of your internal data and finance team. Our FP&A team works closely with your department heads to get them the data they need analyzed and delivered when they need it. Whether it's your annual budget, a weekly cash flow plan, or communications to your board and investors, we are here to support your growth. Through the early days of go-to-market, through the later stages of acquisitions or transitions, you have access to a team that knows you and can support your various needs without you having to hire for multiple roles. If you're interested in partnering with us, give us a call or send us an email. Now back to this week's episode. We've obviously thought a lot about how we approach the market. You the same. I've, in, I've enjoyed our conversations over the last 18 months and continued. Um, but I think, you know, these are great things for, I think, both our listeners to understand about us, but also to think about in your business. Like, how do you make sure that you're being transparent with your customer? What, is, what does that mean for you and for your, for your business and for your customer? How are you going to make sure that you're being transparent? How, how do you make sure that you're engaging with them um, so that they're, they want to come back, whether you've got a recurring business, whether you've got an annual business, whether you've got a transactional business, how do you make it a great experience for you and the customer? Because in the end, it's about building the brand, right? Because it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a short win. Uh, you know, it, it's about building that, that relationship with the market that uh, trusts what you do and how you do it. Yeah. Managing expectations is huge for us. Um, that comes with our, our really very first entry point and introductory call with a prospect or a returning client. Um, so we put a lot of extra time and a lot, meaning like, I'm not talking a lot of time, but it's more than our competitors, right? We're putting in 15 minutes to an hour to have conversations with prospects. Um, and that's a lot in the space. I don't feel yeah. it. And I think that's highly scalable because you're managing expectations. And the worst thing for us in our business would be for a company to go through an entire process with us, an entire engagement and not get any benefit. Not only that, not only that maybe they even get benefit and it was lower than what they expected. We can't give the perfect number without going into detailed financials for a customer, but we can get, we can have a really good idea um, of, of the range of benefits. And then one step further, what does that mean to their bottom line? Because I could work up all the credits in the world for a company, but they might not have a way to utilize the credits. So it's not only a matter of for in our business, if a company qualifies and is a fit and we can help them, but also when does it make the most sense? When is it material to them? When are they going to be excited about the benefits that we're producing for them? Um, and I think that that's a big distinguishing factor between us and our competitors, but that that's a theme that I think can run across kind of any, any shop. If you take a little bit of extra time in your discovery, that can make a world of a difference. And that's why we have, we have returning clients because mm -hmm. 
we manage expectations to the forefront, we delivered on the expectation and we're consistent going forward. And so we find that in our space, I mean, we've turned down prospects that have talked to the competition that made promises of these huge tax credit claims. And I am quite literally like, you're not qualified. You have all overseas developers. <laughs> they get disappointed. They're like, well, you know, the other guy said, you know, I can get a hundred grand. And we're like, well, they said that, but cool. it's not true. So we can tell you, we can give you accurate, you know, truth, but it's going to be a worse conversation if, you know, you get reviewed and these get disallowed or adjusted or, right. or that, but you know, it's, it's worth it to us to disqualify someone than paint. Yeah. Them false picture of reality you'll be on the do not travel list for a long time yes <laughs> absolutely so i agree with you uh during the customer success journey especially as it's coming as a lead a potential lead a qualified opportunity is coming off of the sales team it's important to not just use that sales half hour hour to um, translate your value proposition, talk about all the benefits of coming with our company. But to actually get into the books and understand the business model, I mean, if there isn't a day that doesn't go by where I have like three or four sales calls, it's a lot of different business models, personalities, never mind different names. It's just a lot to, to like hold on to. And then having to take that set of books, send it over to one of our team members on the accounting side or the tax side, or even the FPA side to review business models and financial models. We do take that extra step because it's important. I like our our big tagline is we do not bill by the hour. So if you don't bill by the hour, then you better know what you're about to jump into and making sure it's priced right that the customer gets the value, transparency, and then we're obviously achieving our gross margins or our yeah. long-term value targets. And I love that model too, because whether it's scoping out R&D or scoping out the accounting, P&A services, when you feel like when they're ready to make a decision, go, no go with you. When you feel like you've already added value, like whether it's a checklist of here's the 10 things you need to do in your books to clean them up, right? If you want us to do that, great. If you want to go do it yourself or you want to take that to another provider, I've already given you value uh, because I have because I asked the right questions during that, during that sales call, right? It wasn't just about me selling you. It was about me finding out information so that I can deliver something to you. If you choose to come with us, great. If not, you know, you've got a piece of value. And that that feels to me like a great way to engage with the market. Yeah, totally. For us, I mean, obviously we want to we want to demonstrate what the value prop is, but I want that to be such a tiny portion of my time with a prospect. I want them to be talking, right? I want to be learning about them because whether or not they end up being a client, there's really interesting data points that you can get from a prospect as you evolve your business too. So you can, obviously you can learn a lot, you know, what kind of customers are coming in? What does that look like? Is there something maybe that I'm missing? Is there a cross sell or upsell opportunity? Um, you know, who else do mm -hmm. they? So if, the, if you can get the customer talking more, plus that's going to also make your onboarding and success team a lot happier than mm -hmm. saying, oh, just sign <laughs> this big wig tech company. Like they qualify, go do it. And they're like, where do I start? How, how many revenue streams do they have? How do they invoice? How do they receive payments? What do their expenses look like? You know, <laughs> now you're making the team happy too. If you can just ask some questions. Yeah, no, I agree. And so the third one, Steve, 
Yeah, third one is data. I think both of our companies touch on data. Right. But we touched on it heavy on the, on the data side, but I think, you know, we we're talking about pricing and scoping, how we price, how we scope, then how we process, right? Um, we're big believers here at Growth Lab. Like we have, have all of our employees or W2 employees, and we're not throwing your data to some third-party provider. We are you know, holding your data and we take a lot of responsibility with that, making sure that we control the resources, aka our employees, and making sure that it stays here. You know, all our employees are based here in the U.S., and we're not shipping your data across borders. Um, you know, if you did that with goods and services, or if you did that with goods, you got there's it's all, it's all regulated. If you do that with services, data, it's not. And, uh, you know, we even though we don't have to, we, we keep all of our stuff here. Yeah, and that's, I mean, right or wrong. I think if there's a, an ethical line there, it's not telling your customers that your data is being shipped across. Sure. It's not telling your customers that, I'm not, you know, am I using third-party service providers, which is very normal, right? A lot mm -hmm. of companies outsource. So we don't outsource any of the labor functions, but we do outsource to third-party software providers, right? Whether it's a HubDoc, a Giraffe, QuickBooks. Sure. But I think it's important to be transparent with your customer, to tell them, you know, as part of what and, what and how we're pricing this, this is how we do it. So yeah. I'd like to get your take on data and how you guys are maintaining integrity around data. Communicating it as well. Yeah, that never being an issue of why didn't you ever tell me, right? Or, so um, same here, um, we have certain third-party integrations and, and tools that you know clients will actually see that they need to authorize so that they're in the know of what data is being transferred. And that's typically through, you know, a plot integration or, or their, their payroll integration or account accounting integration. Um, and then just knowing who's behind the scenes, I think is important too. We don't hide our practitioners. They are in constant contact with our, with our clients. Mm -hmm. They actually see their faces and our clients uh, appreciate that. I think that a lot of folks in the accounting space, they've got kind of frightened by the tech movement when really it's an opportunity to just handle a lot of things for your own business and for your customers so that you can be more of an advisor with your clients. But Speaking to kind of software tools in particular, I think that also having a method that's transferable for the customer so that they always have access, like we don't want to be in the way of a customer um, and no one's going to lose business from someone because they have them on a QuickBooks account or not, or a zero account or not, right? Like someone could leave with your giraffe dashboard, your QuickBooks and zero and never know how to manage those things. Right. <laughs> So you're bringing again, people and process. And so that, you know, if you're effectively communicating, okay, these are the tools that we use. These are kind of the dashboards that you're going to have access to. This is how we're going to report your monthly financials or your tax credits. Um, I think it causes a lot less pain down the road. And then also leave you, it's easier for your team. Then you don't have to also spend money, more money on your team to offboard someone. Yeah, right. totally. And, and that's actually part of our sales pitch at times is you want to use these systems because if and when you do want to transition to an hopefully an in-house team or worse yet to another service provider, 
these are yours. The, it's not just your data, but the systems, the platform, the subscriptions. Well, we teach you how to use it. Everything is integrated. Like we're almost handing over this on a silver platter. And why, why would we do that? Because, you know, in business, you think about how do I make my product sticky? How do I make the relationship sticky? Manage, you know, attrition. We don't care about that. We think like that should be on the up and up. Like yeah. that should be how things get, um, that should be based on how we deliver in terms of, you know, getting them ex excited and engaged, not locked in, not locked in. Right. Yeah. Data should always be transferable. It should be communicated where the data is stored and um, no one's going to take away your people and process. That's, that's where you're adding the most value. That's what's proprietary. Yep. That's agreed. Along. So cool. Ari, thank you. If, uh, if our listeners want to uh, get in touch with you, where should they best uh, reach out to you? And then I have one more question after that. I have one question too. Oh, all right. Well, taxtaker.com, T-A-X-T-A-K-E-R.com. That's where to find us. Um, and then Ari Salafia, it's a mouthful, but um, I'm on LinkedIn too. So love to connect, talk about all things fintech, account tech, tax credits. And then also I, I have a particular focus on helping um, underrepresented and women founders too. Um, so always encourage anyone to kind of reach out if they're on their entrepreneurial journey and just want to talk shop. Excellent. Cool. And then I'll we've got a couple more questions. I was just going to ask, what are you looking forward to uh, before the end of the year? I'm actually, well, we're actually expecting our first child. So I am having a baby next month. And the first thing we thought when awesome. we found out was, wow, we're so blessed. This is so exciting. Um, happened fairly quickly after we got married. Uh, but secondly, um, and my team can attest to this too. The second thought was, oh, thank God it's after tax season. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, that was a very good personal question. I've got a more of a industry question. Sure. What are like two or three things you're expecting out of this industry? in the next year, two years, especially with the pandemic and remote work and technology? Yeah, so I'm I'm really, really interested to see kind of what the hiring and retention landscape looks like. It seems like it's just super volatile right now. So I'm, I'm gonna be interested to see how folks really attract and retain talent, especially with, with kind of the hybrid workforce remote mm -hmm. and in person. So that's going to be something I'm going to be looking for forward to kind of seeing how that shakes out and learn more about it. We've got um, open job postings here at tax taker and it's just, it's really competitive out there. Um, so interested to, to see how that shakes up. Um, I am really interested to see, you know, FinTech is on the rise, account tech's on the rise, tax credit space is on the rise, it's frothy. I'm going to be paying attention to consolidation in the space mm -hmm. and seeing kind of, you know, what's working um, really from a people and process standpoint as well. Um, and then, you know, lastly, it's, you know, are we going into a recession? What's that going to look like for companies? Yeah. Um, and I think very much like the pandemic, we're going to see um, some really great companies continue to be built out of it that are that are ultimately super resourceful. So, yeah, those are three good ones. Um, I'll start with the, uh, the the last one first. So Steve and I got into part of what we're doing here 
part of our growth journey was because of an acquisition we made of a, a bookkeeping business. Uh, definitely not tech centric. It was definitely people centric. And the former owner once told me, and I thought she was full of shit, but she's so spot on. This is a, a recession proof business. A guy in my, you know, I'm 46. I've been through a few of these recessions. Um, I remember the 2008, like, like it was yesterday. I do believe that there something has to happen as the liquidity in the market begins to be mopped up, assuming we kind of come out of this pandemic and whether it's in the next 12 months or 24 months, but it goes back to the point you made earlier, you got to be prepared for that. You got to be thinking about it. And it's not just like five years out, if we have a recession, no, it's got to be like, if I plan on doubling sales in the next 12 months in 2022, and my hiring trajectory, because we're in a people business, and my hiring trajectory includes one to two hires per quarter. What happens if there's a recession in Q2, Q3, or some sort of contraction? Number two, I do believe that con the consolidation wave is, is actually happening in the accounting industry. We've had a few opportunities to sell our business, and we've decided not to. There's a lot of sort of 60, 70-year-old CPAs, accountants, bookkeepers with pretty good books of business. Now, whether or not all those customers fit into our profile, that's a different story, but there's definitely opportunity there, um, especially if those accountants have not actually had a succession plan. And your first one is all about the great resignation of 2021. It's something that we actually touched on on last week's podcast that's being uh, released today. And I hope you take a listen um, no. because that is something we're very passionate about of uh, coming into the fall of 2021. We talked a lot about how difficult it is to hire. Where are the applicants? Where are all the people, right? I mean, the people are still here, right? Um, I think the reality is it's not about attracting talent. It's more about retaining what you got. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate it. Guys, this is so much fun as always. Uh, Q4 is going to just blow by. So I'm um, excited to see where y'all land with all your customers. I know this is a, becomes a super fun time for, for year-end planning and, and lots of opportunities for growth. So I'm excited to see your business grow and face 2022 with lots of success. Appreciate it. And best of luck if we don't talk. Yeah, I go dark a little bit during November, you know, just because <laughs> of the whole baby thing. But I'll be back. <laughs> That's gonna be the hardest thing is not not just always checking in. So we'll see how I do. <laughs> Congratulations again. Thanks so much, guys. Best of luck. Talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ari. Bye, Bye, Ari. All right, Steve. That's a wrap. That's October a good one. October twelfth. Love talking about uh, how we've shaped Growth Lab, and it was great to have Ari join the conversation. Uh, to give her take on, on tax taker too. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. I'll see everybody next week. Thanks for joining us here on the raw take by growth Lab. We are passionate about the finance as a service space and helping our customers and our industry overcome challenges and take advantage of opportunities. Yeah, that was fun, Steve. Appreciate it. See everyone next week.